You've heard our open themes with listeners talking about their vocations. New Hampshire shepherdesses love to listen to issues, etc. Or what they're doing while listening to issues, etc. New parents love listening to issues, etc. In the middle of the night. We're looking for more of these elements to include in our open themes. Tell us about your vocation, hobby, or what you do while listening to Issues Etc. Call the Issues Etc. comment line 24-7 at 618-223-8382. If you make a mistake, just start over. 618-223-8382. Thanks for listening, and thanks for contributing to Issues Etc. 618 618- Two two three eighty three eighty two. There is no common ground possible between the people who believe in objective truth and cultural Marxists. Parents, social media is undermining you left and right. I mean, it's like dumping a bucket of termites outside your house every day and then thinking, it'll be fine. They won't mess with my house. Feminism has told us that our our children are the obstacle to our happiness instead of a means to our happiness. You know, when we take those tender and important and precious relationships away from women, they're not going to be more fulfilled without it. You know, Luther said on his deathbed that we're beggars all. He could have said we're all dogs receiving crumbs from our master's table. This is Mark from Michigan, and I am a lawnmower listener. We love issues, etc., Interesting headline of a very lengthy story in the New York Times, an unexpected hotbed of young adult authors, colon, Utah, a tight-knit community of young adult writers who belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, has yielded smashes like Twilight, but religious doctrine can clash with creative freedoms. So why does the New York Times find it so odd that Mormons write popular youth fiction? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Live on this Wednesday afternoon, September the 6th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry Mattingly joins us to talk about that New York Times story on Mormon young adult fiction authors. We'll discuss declining religiosity among American children with Lyman Stone, a research fellow for the Institute for Family Studies. Then we'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the 14th Sunday after Trinity, Jesus healing 10 lepers. In Luke chapter 17, Pastor Peter Bender says, the story is not about gratitude, mostly it's about something else. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. It seems rather odd that the New York Times thinks it's strange that Latter-day Saints are having such success producing fantasy fiction for children and families, doesn't it? Well, it does if you can kind of do the math. And I would start off with the following equation. First of all, there are quite a few members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the the group that now is kind of get, trying to get away from the word Mormon, but that's still what a, how a lot of people identify them. And there are quite a few of them. They're known for several things. They're known for 
a very heavy emphasis on education, including foreign languages and other cultures. They're famous for getting married. They're famous for having children, sometimes lots of children. And then they're very famous for having structured in their homes a church-driven and even church-defined and encouraged system of family spending time together. Turn off your screens and spend some time together. And at the heart of that is an extremely lively culture of reading. And that's reading in families and reading to young children beginning at a very, very, very early age and just continuing all the way through. So to me, it shouldn't be any surprise at all that Latter-day Saint culture has had millions of parents go looking for books for their kids to read. And when you start looking for books in children's literature and in young adult fiction, there are some, some people would say, some negative trends through the years. But at the same time, there are lots of precedents for religious believers coming up with all kinds of fiction related to this. To me, I'm sitting there imagining this, this New York Times piece being edited. And at some point you hit this, they're talking about the strangeness that Stephanie Meyer, who wrote the Twilight books, managed to come up with successful books from her Latter-day Saint background. And so we end up with this paragraph. He added, Mr. Sanderson, an author and owner of a Dragonsteel Books, a publishing company in Provo, and he talks about, they get the idea that there is a, a literary culture that is home-centered, and they ended up interviewing like two dozen authors out of LDS culture that are writing in this genre. And you hit this paragraph. He added that the visibility of sci-fi and fantasy is striking in part because the genres are not associated with religious temperaments. Now, that's a paraphrase. That is not a direct quote. The direct quote is when people find out that Stephanie Myers, who wrote vampire books as LDS, they're like, what? That doesn't mesh with my view in my head of a conservative religious community. What I'm questioning is the first half of that paragraph, which is where they're claiming to be paraphrasing him. Because this man runs a publishing company, that, and he specializes in fantasy and works of children's literature. Now, the minute I say to you, conservative religious culture, children's literature, do any names leap to mind for you? Not off the top of my head. Oh, okay. Have you ever heard of C.S. Lewis? Well, yes, I, was, I wasn't <laughs> going that far back, yes. Okay, no, 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 let's go that far back. Let's talk about the bookshelves. C.S. Lewis had a couple of fairly successful books. J.R.R. Tolkien, Leaps to Mind, a couple of pretty successful books there. One of the creators 
of the field of fantasy writing for children is George McDonald. You get into um, all kinds of people in the modern generation. One of my favorite authors that I grew up reading to my children is Stephen Lawhead, who is one of the most published and successful children's literature authors of recent decades. I could go on and on and run down a bunch of them, but if you search for Christian fantasy books, entire websites come up full of authors publishing book after book, and some of them big sellers. And then I know this might be controversial, but there's another author who, when asked about the success of her book, said, I believe in God, not magic. And she said, every time I've been asked if I believe in God, I say, yes, because I do. But no one ever really has gone any more deeply into it than that. And I have to say that does suit me. If I talk too freely about it, I think the intelligent reader, whether 10 or 60, will be able to guess what's coming in the books. And in this interview, she went on to a lengthy discussion of the influence of her Christian faith on the symbolism and language of her books. And I have a bookshelf sitting here by me in my office that has 10 different books written about the role of Christian faith in this particular author. And she sold a couple of books, and her name is J.K. Rowling has had a little bit of success in fiction for young adults. And my wife's favorite, my wife, of course, is a librarian, and one of her specialties is children's literature and young adult literature. And her favorite author ever, multiple winner, I believe, of the Newbery Award, very outspoken Christian, Madeline Le Engel, author of a number of famous. So I think I've made my point here. I mean, I don't even need to get into the Frank Peretti's, you know, and Danita Paul and people of that ilk, and uh, kind of at the secondary level of this, I think it's impossible to discuss children's literature within the last century of the English language and not have at the top of the list, have it over half the authors being Christians some of them, J.K. Rowling is certainly not a conservative Christian, but is a strong, articulate, outspoken, liberal Anglican. I think she'd call herself a progressive. But with Catholics in the world of fantasy is an entire other subject, beginning with Tolkien and a host of others. So anyway, I wondered when they were doing this article, was there anybody on the copy desk that said, wait a minute, we're saying that it's unusual for conservative religious believers to write fantasy for children and young adults? Like, on what planet is that rare? But it got through the entire editing process of the New York Times, and it's one of the two dominant themes of this, as you mentioned, very, very long article. Where would you quibble with the story, other than the fact that they seem to have missed the fact that, that <laughs> conservative religious persons, and according to your list uh, up to this point, many, many Christians, are kind of the definition of the genre? Well, they didn't, other than a brief reference to the fact that the concept of the hero journey, that you have a young hero or a hero of any age that who goes on a fantastic journey, journey 
and learns a lot about life and at the end has some sort of crisis and revelation. At one point they mentioned that there's a lot of that in Scripture and that for a culture where people grew up reading Scripture, that might have something to do with a talent for spotting the hero journey in stories. But I immediately thought of other things that I've heard attributed, because like I said, I'm married to a librarian who loves this sort of stuff. But I also remember something that the great Dorothy L. Sayers, who was not known for young adult literature, but certainly a great writer of detective novels in particular. And she was asked once why she thought Christians did a great job of writing detective fiction, a different form of fiction, but still fiction that tends to be written for people at all kinds of different ages. G.K. Chesterton, Father Brown, leaps to mind. And she said, people need to think about what makes literature work. He said, in a detective story, for example, the story opens, in most cases, it's murder mysteries, and the story opens with an act of evil. And it's evil of a kind that it's impossible for the readers to deny that it's evil. Then you have a detective goes into the world looking for evidence pointing toward who did this act of evil. And they go in, they use their logic, and they use their brain, and they figure things out, but it implies that in real life there's evidence of what's real and what's false, what's true and what is against the truth. And the detective achieves justice, an act in which evil is detected, an evildoer is captured or exposed, and something that is undeniably good is done. And she said, you know, there are worse places to start out if you're a Christian writer than the fact that there is something called good and there is something called evil, and that these are absolutes, and that buried in the human heart is a moral factor that helps you figure out what is good and evil, and that if you look in the world around you, you see evidence of the good, and you see evidence of what is evil. And she said, that sounds to me like a formula for Christian literature. Now, that's maybe not something that fits every fantasy novel, but if you, you look at some of the fantasy films of our age, some of them written by non-Christian authors, but some of them written by people who kind of were influenced by Christianity. And the modern hero journey genre often has, shall we say, are you on the dark side of something, maybe call it the force, or are you on the light side? Are you seeking to follow the dark path? Are you seeking to follow the light path? So the minute you start using that sort of language, you begin to see that show up over, over, and over in children's literature. And some of the most incredible symbolism for that, in my mind, would be seen in Madeleine Le Engel's A Wrinkle in Time. And I once interviewed her about that subject, the late Madeleine Le Engel. And she could go on 
and on about why fantasy literature was a natural form of fiction for Christian authors who wanted to write stories in a way that would appeal to the general public and not just to their own tribe, so to speak. So these are names that I think should have shown up in this article. And instead, in, in a moment that I have to admit made me laugh out loud, the final third, almost half of this article is dedicated to whether or not the Latter-day Saints will continue to be able to write effective youth fiction because they have the wrong theological position on gay rights. Now, who would have seen that twist coming in a New York Times article? But <laughs> I would argue that, if anything, their desire to write about stories in a way that would appeal to families and to parents and to children who are religious believers, that may hurt them with part of the American fiction landscape these days, but I don't see it hurting them with millions of people in this world. Terry Mattingly is our guest. We're talking about a New York Times story on Mormon young adult fiction authors. Is part of the problem that there aren't really that many gray-haired employees in major newsrooms who have heard of Lewis, Tolkien, and Chesterton. We'll be right back. The Church's Music from the 20th Century. The 17th century. The 11th century. The 8th century. The 4th century. The best of the church's music from the past 2,000 years. LutheranPublicRadio.org Listen to what you want, when you want. You're listening to Issues Etc. America's tradition of liberty depends on having colleges and universities that equip young people for the responsibilities of freedom. At Concordia University Chicago, freedom is a pillar of our education. We prepare our students to live as free, self-governing citizens. I'm Dr. Rachel Ferguson, director of the Free Enterprise Center at Concordia Chicago. I invite you to visit us. Discover what it means for freedom to become a pillar of your future. Learn more at cuchicago.edu. Register today. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through the 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky. The conference includes visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Online registration is open now with early bird pricing at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life. 
equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Lutheransforlife.org Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about a New York Times story on Mormon young adult fiction authors. Terry Mattingly is our guest of Get Religion. Folks, the 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is next month in Cincinnati. It's not too late to register. This year's conference includes visits to the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum. Learn more at lutheransforlife.org. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference, October 11th through the 13th, in Cincinnati, lutheransforlife.org. Terry, is part of the problem that in many national newsrooms, there aren't that many gray-haired employees who have heard of or remember Lewis Tolkien or Chesterton. I frankly find that very hard to believe when you consider that the Tolkien movies were among the largest grossing films of the last 20 years in world culture. And... The Narnia books continue to sell over a million sets a year. And we've even had stories in Britain and America about whether Narnia can continue to be read in public schools because they're too Christian. So I can't think of authors who have had more young adult success in the last 20 years even than some of the the Christian writers that you know that I just listed and then you get into the smaller world of culture that maybe gets a little inside baseball and I mean I would not for example have expected the people at the New York Times to have heard about the wing feather saga written by Andrew Peterson now these are bestsellers they're also being turned now into cartoon series, but they're being done by, I believe it's the Angel Company, which has done so much else in Christian culture. So I wouldn't have expected the Times to have heard about that. I would have expected someone at the Times to stop and say, well, what differentiates the LDS culture of youth writing from the world of J.K. Rowling, from the world of Madeleine Le Engel, from the world of Tolkien, of C.S. Lewis and the Inklings. I would imagine if you scratched for one second, and I know this because I know a lot of people on the faculty of BYU, and I've spent some time in Provo, they read Narnia. They read Tolkien. They read the classics in the very literature classes that the Times kind of begins with, saying, you know, that here we are at BYU, and oh my gosh, isn't it unusual that these conservative believers are reading books and learning how to write novels and being inspired to write screenplays and whatever else in the field of fantasy. So... I still, I cannot believe that they overlooked the history of mega success in fantasy by explicitly well-known Christian writers. I just, I can't believe that they left that hole. Now they got to 
trans issues and LGBTQ plus and all that. They got to that, but they couldn't get to Narnia, which, by the way, is about to hit Netflix in a multi-million dollar epic series of productions. And Tolkien, an expanded take on The Lord of the Rings, is going on right now on Amazon Prime with J.K. Rowling at the helm as executive producer. An even larger version of the Hogwarts Harry Potter books are soon going to be coming to, I believe it's Disney+. Plus. I mean, so youth fiction is a billion-dollar industry. They could have at least asked about some of the most famous authors who ever existed and how that might relate to this culture in Utah of a love for classic fiction and the writing of new fiction. Why doesn't this formula seem to work for evangelicals or other Christians now, or Christians today? There's a great question, and I honestly don't know why it is. Part of me, as someone who grew up Southern Baptist and was never exposed to the Chronicles of Narnia, even though my mother was a language arts teacher and I read tremendous amounts of literature, I did not hit Tolkien and Narnia until I hit college, frankly, at Baylor. I was on a choir tour and people were passing around copies of the Chronicles of Narnia. It could be that some of those authors suffered from what I've heard Baptists refer to as Romophobia, which is fear of all things Roman Catholic. And the minute you get into classic literature in the field of fantasy and in other types of fiction, you can't read the greats without reading Roman Catholics. So it's possible that there are evangelicals who are scared of some of the classic children's literature because it isn't evangelical. So it's kind of a catch-22 there. But I once asked Frank Peretti, who wrote The Darkness Trilogy, which he only wanted it to be two books and his publishers mandated that he come back with a third. And I jokingly once told him the third book should have been called Marketing the Darkness. But he once said that he didn't think evangelicals had a reading culture. Now, that might have been true for decades, but in the era of homeschooling, I think a lot of that has changed. And then there are evangelicals, especially Reformed uh, Protestants, who are at the center of the world of classical schools as well as homeschooling. And I don't know anybody involving in homeschooling that doesn't have shelves of classic youth fiction on the walls. So I don't have an answer, but I fear that a lot of evangelicals, frankly, tune into the multiplex and tune into regular pop culture as much or more than they're actually raising their children to read the Christian classics. That's what I fear. So it'd be very ironic to me if the LDS culture is more comfortable with the Christian classics than a lot of evangelicals. That may make some listeners angry, but that's part of what I worry about. With about a minute here, you have a quote from Robert Duvall that you think applies. Yeah. I once asked Robert Duvall, the great multi-Academy Award winning actor or nominee, I know he's won at least one, uh, Academy Award 
one of the greatest actors of our time. I once asked him, he made a movie, an explicitly Christian film, even though he would consider himself a struggling believer, not a professing Christian, but he was intrigued with why Christians didn't make great movies. He said, when you live in a culture that looks at sin, redemption, and salvation, he said, I can understand why Hollywood has trouble with sin, redemption, repentance, redemption, and salvation. He said, I can understand why Hollywood has trouble with that formula, but why in the world don't Christians embrace that formula? Because the minute you have that formula down, the realities of sin and brokenness, repentance, redemption, salvation, the minute you embrace that formula, he said, you're on the way to some of the greatest stories in the history of all of literature. So why in the world don't modern Christians write more books like that and more screenplays like that? If Robert Duvall asked that question, I think a lot of people in Christian colleges and universities should be asking that question as well. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. Lyman Stone of the Institute for Family Studies will be with us on the other side of the break. He has dug up some interesting data on declining religiosity among American children. Issues Etc. Regular guests Dr. Reed Lessing and Dr. Andrew Steinman are the authors of our Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about The Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. Study the Old Testament through a Christ-centered lens with the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, The Messianic Message. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. We're supported by listeners like you. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press's award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memorial Press, saving Western civilization, one student at a time. St. Peter encourages us, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. 
That is where we get the Greek word for apologetics, that is to defend the Christian faith. The September issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up the topics of apologetics and archaeology and discusses both of them in detail with articles from Paul Meyer, Sarah Rinsel, Mark Meal, and David Adams. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective.